0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The 2023 Rugby World Cup is finally upon us. As the Rugby World prepares to set sail and turn their full attention to France, the KLN S Rugby Podcast should be your one-stop shop for an in-depth Irish eye on this magnificent tournament. Over the next three months, there'll be over 50 articles and podcasts ready to hit your eyes and ears, starting with a pre-tournament preview series detailing the hopes of all 20 teams. There will be preview and recap podcasts of each of Ireland's World Cup and tournament fixtures, as well as a weekly review pod with guests from the world over. This is the Kailan S Rugby Podcast, your home of extensive, fan-led rugby World Cup coverage. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the second episode of my 2023 Rugby World Cup preview series. We continue the series by looking at the three-time champions, New Zealand. Despite a shaky 2022 where they lost a test series at home to Ireland, they are close to securing a fourth rugby championship in a row, but still seem to be going in under the radar. Joining me to preview the All Blacks tournament is Kiwi rugby writer and another debutante on the channel, Jamie Wall. So thanks very much for joining us, Jamie.
1: It's great to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. No
0: problem. Um, well, I'll start all these podcasts the same way, so I'll ask yourself as well, Jamie. Where's your excitement for the tournament as of as of now, over over a month and a half
1: out? Uh, yeah, it's getting pretty palpable <laughs> at the moment. Uh, it's been an interesting last few years for the All Blacks. And when I say interesting, I mean not that great, uh, which is not how they usually are going into a World Cup. Um, and I think that now that the season has started playing and, and the All Blacks have a couple of good wins under their belt, uh, that people are really starting to really, really starting to kind of look forward to the tournament and say like, okay, if a few things go our way, then, then, you know, the All Blacks might have a decent shot at taking it back. So you know the confidence is still very much there from from All Black fans, but for me, I think as someone who's going over to it, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I think that um, you know having a tournament in France is something that's really unique, uh, and I just can't wait to to get there because this is this is the most interesting World Cup that there's ever been. I think if you, if I can take my All Black hat head off, uh, I think that any number of teams can win it, and 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 the way that the draw's been structured has been heavily criticised but at the same time it's it's meant that we've been having discussions like this for the last 2 years so you know the the more talk and the more conjecture around these sort of things the better because at the moment right now in in New Zealand and Australia we've got the the women's football world cup going on and it is very interesting to watch a tournament where sort of every pool game really really matters you know yeah. and and ideally that's what you want to get to with this with the Rugby World Cup, so I think that's helping fuel the excitement as well because you know the All Blacks are going to go off to a tournament which they people expect them to win. So, yeah, to answer your question, excitement is is building.
0: Yeah, that's, that's good to see, and it's um well, we we speak about a day after Ireland were officially eliminated from the Women's World Cup. So hopefully the the men go a step further at the at the very least. Um, but as like as I alluded to, and as you alluded to, they kind of come in in a, an unfamiliar setting, to say the least, you know, and, and fans the world over, like they're almost, they're almost an enigma, which New Zealand never are, because they've they've had up and down form. We have the the lame duck coach in Ian Foster with Razor coming in, Scott Robertson. But yet like they're still they're still New Zealand. They still put what was it thirty five points on South Africa there, two weeks ago, like they're forced to be reckoned with, so mean would you go along with the sense that of the with the sense of the unknown, or do you think they're they're just ready? New Zealand are ready to attack now?
1: Yeah, great question. I mean, you can make a case for both, uh, really, uh, because I think that the results of the past few years have made us weary as, as all mm-hmm. black fans, that nothing's guaranteed. It, it doesn't feel like anything's guaranteed anymore. And we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but the Irish series last year was was really devastating, I think, for a lot of fans, because it's one thing to lose to Ireland and Dublin. It's another thing to lose in Chicago, but to lose in New Zealand really showed just how much of a shift there's been in the last few years. And there are a lot of reasons uh, for that. Um, but it feels like now after a long season last year uh, and a big, long layoff and a lot of players getting rested throughout Super Rugby, which people aren't that happy about, but is probably for the greater good um, that the All Blacks and that Ian Foster has managed to put together a pretty comprehensive plan because those first two tests that I've had this year have been really impressive. Like, probably the most impressive uh, of, this, of this era, uh, given the amount of, Pressure that was on. Like, there were a lot of people in New Zealand that just presumed that we would lose to Argentina in Argentina, which is insane when you think mm-hmm. about the All Blacks history and everything. And so for them to come out and just smack the Pumas over the head and take that game within the first like 10 minutes, and then a week later do the same thing to South Africa, uh, it, it, it's it's a very very positive steps so i think i'd be more inclined to agree with the that they're primed to attack because i think once the psychological um uh value of the all blacks just kind of being really ominous and being in good form is gonna make a lot of other teams worried really worried and perhaps adjust their game plans accordingly uh and when you start as a team worrying about more about your opposition than yourselves, then you're in trouble. And I think that's what, what's tripped up a lot of teams against the All Blacks just forever. Uh, and so I think that the, if they can go out tomorrow, give the Wallabies a hiding, um, you know, take back the Lisboa Cup and go into the World Cup unbeaten, um, I think the mood would definitely be shifting more to a positive one um, by the time the tournament kicks off. But in saying that, yeah. uh, in in saying that 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 game against France, we're really we're really going to know like after the first game of the World Cup.
0: Yeah, that's that's where it's going to go because it does feel like even for France, all roads lead to that opening game. First of all, like we've got, like, I, I watched the South Africa game um, in Auckland, and I was just so I was blown away. Like everything from New Zealand, it was from the side that drew with England last year that lost twice to Ireland. They just look like a well, a much more rounded team, and like I've done a French preview, which is already up on the channel, and they're saying, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the loser that game goes on to win the World Cup, similar to twenty nineteen when yourselves in South Africa played the an opening game, and it does have that vibe. Where it's like it's big, but these sides is like New Zealand are number four in the world; they could go to number three at the weekend, depending on how they get on against Australia, and like. You you just can't you can't write them off either. Like they are they are kind of prime, but I suppose to look in New Zealand, we have to look back as well. You know, yes, they have the history of three World Cups, but like it's gone under the radar. They've won three rugby championships in a row. If they win, if they go and they beat um Australia in, in the MCG, it's it's four in a row in a World Cup cycle, which is it's it's phenomenal. Yet any all that anyone is talking about is that Test Series lost to Ireland which is probably unfair, I think you could say. But like you, you said, we'd bring it up. And how much of an impact do you think they had on not just the squad, but the wider public? And then, you know, it, it brought forward the coaching changes. You know, Joe Schmidt was set to come in anyway. And now maybe it's just up here, but we're all talking about his impact. And do you feel like it might've just been a case that the better of two good teams came out on top that day? Or was it, I suppose... a that kind of price that you could say for new zealand
1: oh well i definitely think the better team won i you know i'm not going to sit here and making excuses for that i think that the irish in that series and i mean i'm not you know you, you know this as well as, as anyone that um they developed as a touring team and the first test they learnt and then they put what they'd learnt into um into practice in the second test came away with a very good one i mean you know there was a, admittedly there was a red card uh, in that game mm-hmm. that that swung things but then again there's no arguments whatsoever about that third test like the the irish won that one running away in, in my opinion and the fact that that was happening on new zealand soil um you know this is these are in front of people that in, up until not that long ago had never seen the All Blacks lose to Ireland at all, and then they yeah. paid money to watch it happen in front of them. That really was, uh, yeah, like like you said, the kind of, I wouldn't say it was the final nail in the coffin, but it was definitely one of the first ones um, on this coaching, uh, on Ian Foster's coaching uh, regime. Um, you You have to remember, though, that after that came lot a lost another loss to Argentina, which was again very like unbelievable and uh and unacceptable. But that after that, you had another half of the season where the All Blacks actually played really well and won, I think, won their next six games. And things were actually looking all right. And you can go, okay, well, they've gone away on this end-of-year tour where they played against uh like a real banana skin game against Japan in which they had to field. It was like a C team that they they fielded. Um, they had to uh, go to Wales. Um, I mean, Wales weren't up to much, so, but they got the job done against them. Um, they had to play against a very good Scotland side at home who really believed that they could win that game. You know, like, mm-hmm. if you're a Scottish fan, it was, to me, like, that was your chance to do that. And they were down... A, a, and the bench had to come on and save the game for them and did a really good job of it. And so by that stage, it was like, actually, the the signs are all pointing upward. This is looking really good for the All Blacks where this tour is answering a lot of questions. And then they go to Twickenham. They're up 25 points to six against, um, you, you know, at a place that has historically been difficult, you know, difficult place for the All Blacks to go and play. And if they just hung on for that last 10 minutes and ground out like a good win like not, not a pretty one, but a good one. None of this coaching stuff would have happened at the start of the season because you can go, we're just going to take your most recent body of work, which was actually really good. Like an unbeaten end of year tour, uh, a win at Twickenham, you know, a win at Murrayfield, it's looking good. And and I think that's what's meant that there's been all this disruption at the start of the year uh, with the coaching change that's happened, which is unprecedented. That's never happened before Where I've named a coach while another coach has been. Um, mm-hmm. In place um but at the same time I think that the 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 best possible outcome of that drama has actually happened which is that Ian Foster said well like my job is just to win every possible game that there is and do it in the in the most impressive possible way so I'm going to pick the best team for every game which is what he's done so far and he's he's picked another team to do that against the Wallabies on Saturday, and uh, I think because he knows he knows the future, he knows that whatever happens in France, he's done. Um, that's given him a bit of, ironically, like a bit more of a free reign. to, do. and so, so yeah, I think that going back to your original point, it all kind of started with that Irish series, where we're at now, you know, and it could have gone really bad and thankfully it hasn't. It's sort of coming out the other side now Um but we're going to know after the Bledisloe Cup series, I think, where the All Blacks are really at.
0: And like it's hindsight is a wonderful thing. It's easy to look back and a lot of people's perception is that was the end of Ian Foster's reign but the reality was Wales went into that game thinking they could take New Zealand, lost by 20 or 30 points. Scotland went into that game thinking they could take down New Zealand lost pretty narrow fashion to be fair to them and england were probably the most difficult going into it because you know the scariest time to play new zealand is when they have a, a run of games on you and they had and yes there was a bit of a weird game as as you alluded to so it's the the question marks are probably still there and like i i i meant to put it in in the notes and i haven't but just that coaching ticket that's coming in with scott robertson with um, a former Munster man and Jason Holland, Liam McDonald. Is there, I know Robertson has this persona that's very well liked and he has the credentials to match, but like when you got some very successful Super Rugby head coaches, never mind just assistant coaches, but head coaches, would the general fan base in New Zealand be pretty optimistic seeing them come in? And again, not just Robertson, but even just the, the ticket that he's assembled alongside him.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been people who have been screaming out for Robertson to be head coach since the end of the last World Cup. Um, he's a very popular figure um, down here. And, you know, even, and, and that's from a guy from the Crusaders, which is a team that everyone hates. So for him to have the amount of groundswell of support uh, that he does, uh, it really says a lot about how people regard him. I mean, you can't argue with his body of work. He's won Super Rugby every time he's coached a team in it, which is incredible, really. Uh, and he has, he has a very good way with the, the media. Everyone seems to get along, you know, enjoy the way that he carries himself. Um, the media, he's a little bit offbeat, um, which is different for a rugby coach in New Zealand. Uh, as far as the ticket, as you, as you, as you called it, he's assembled like, it's it's not I don't think people are really looking at that it's just about the coach like everything falls on the head guy um which is why I think there's been a bit of antipathy towards Foster because the whole the the rationale behind him at least what we got told the rationale behind him getting the job in the first place was the team that he had assembled around him who he ended up firing. A couple yeah. of years later, um, and uh, Brad Moore and John Plumtree, who just weren't up to the job. I I feel like um, like Jason Holland's done pretty well to get to where he is. I know, obviously, you he's got that connection in Ireland, but as a Hurricanes coach, I kind of expected more given how much talent um, that that team has uh he's also just a little bit uh, he's ironically kind of more a little bit unfamiliar to us because he's done all his coaching overseas and so when he was named it as hurricanes coach a lot of people didn't even really know who he was um and uh uh leon mcdonald obviously we are very familiar with um him and robertson used to be teammates um at the crusaders and in the all blacks uh back in the day and he has, I wouldn't say he's turned the Blues around in his tenure with them because, with the amount of uh, players and resources and su- support that that team can tap into, they really should have won something by now. Um, so, I guess that kind of says a lot about Robertson as well that he's managed to um, consistently keep beating the Blues uh, every time they play. But in saying that, um, up until this year, the Blues have under mcdonald's um coaching have for the last four years been the next best um new zealand team so you know can't really argue with that um but yeah it i think um people are more interested uh people are more fired up about just change itself it feels kind of like there's been an election and and we've got yeah. a new prime like a new regime is coming in that's that is very different to the old one. That's that's the way it feels, and I um, I'm going to be very interested to see how it goes, and and I think a lot of other people are as well. Yeah,
0: and, and listen, it's like Robertson's credentials again, as we say, are you know you can't you can't argue with it, really. You know, he's he's a top coach, and I suppose next year is when the question marks will be. But listen, there's there's been a lot of question marks over New Zealand over the last two years, but so we'll we'll move on from those and. Like at the time of recording, as we've said a few times now, like they've only played their two rugby championship games, but what do you think we've learned from them in those two games in the the two convincing victories over argentina
1: and uh, and South Africa? uh I think we've learned that there, mainly that um there are there were a few areas on the field that people were um worried about, which I don't think we need really need to be worried about anymore. And uh that is uh and at lock. Um the the amount of depth that was there seemed quite shallow, but and now it turns out that Scott Barrett is having having the best season of his of his career. And he's actually probably close to pushing Sam Whitelock out of the starting team and potentially out of the squad. Um so the competition around that area is is really good because there was some worries about uh, just how old Sam Whitelock and Brodie Retellick are, and also Retellick's just a little bit injury-prone, and it didn't really feel like there was anyone below them because it was kind of thought that Scott Barrett would end up at blindside. Um, and also the loose forward trio seems a lot more solid now, uh, and also the midfield as well. Um the The most pleasing aspect of those ones, though, is how quickly the All Blacks have started games because that was what was costing them uh, in their losses uh, la- last year. Uh, you can see that. I think it was in the in their first all, all their games in the Rugby Championship and the Irish series they conceded the first points, and it was starting to become a recurring theme. You know that like. What? Why? Why are you not waking up until fifteen minutes into the game? <clears throat> and they've completely flipped that on their head. On its head. Yes, Argentina was one thing because, like, that team had to come in from all around the world, and they had to. You know, they would have had like sort of limited preparation. Um, but the Springbok game really said a lot because that was a team that was coming off a good win. You know, and they'd named a very good team, and and you know they'd had their plan all sorted out with their big bench and everything, and the All Blacks completely nullified the whole thing. And the and I mean it, it kind of said a lot about the Springboks as well, about like their theory about bringing bench players on um, to kind of win them the game. It's like, nah, it you need those guys to close the game out for you, not win it, because the All Blacks managed to keep them at arm's reach. Like the whole for that whole second half um, so I think that they, they that, that was a really pleasing aspect that they dealt with a couple of really different teams um, and still got the same the same kind of result and it was like a, like what I said before um, that they once you start worrying too much about the opposition you you're, you're in trouble The always just kind of stuck to what they did, which is grab the ball, hang on to it, kick really well when you have to and just force the other team onto the back foot and and that was that was what the most impressive thing about it was um and then also just from a just sort of like what i talked about before the public has sort of turned around and been like actually yeah you know what maybe we are the real deal maybe maybe you know they're going to go to france and actually pull this off and then it's going to be really funny because we've just spent the last three years calling for the coach to get sacked and then when he um <laughs> And then if he turns around and wins the World Cup, like how do we react to that, you know?
0: Yeah, no, it's true. And it's it, it is a funny one because you, you just can't write them off. Like you look at the talent that's in the squad. And I just want to touch on the backline really quickly because I didn't see the Argentina game myself, but from the South Africa game, I felt like it was the first time we really seen Mowanga and Barrett click together. Um mm. and Barrett, that is, and then Geordie Barrett was at 12. And what what it seemed like for me. Um and like I don't watch a whole lot of Super Rugby, but I feel like their kicking game was very good. Their distribution game, they worked in tandem very very well, and it looked like for the probably for the first time in, even more than four years, five years, six years that they have got their best players on the pitch. Moonga is a fine player. Barrett is one of the best Test level tens in the last ten years. They finally got all these players in the pitch, and it finally worked. Is that something to? maybe not build on it's right work because you know it's working but is that something that would add a bit of confidence because i know the moranga question was kind of you know you get a lot of to and fro for the last couple of years
1: yeah yeah you've nailed it like right there i think uh that that combination has been under a lot of scrutiny and and not it's not a recent thing as well this goes all the way back to like 2019, because you've got these two really good players, you know, I mean, like generational players, talent you've got. Um, and the the feeling has always been that you can't leave one of them out because they're both that good. So you've got to find a place on the field. And so first five and fullback, or fly half and fullback, uh, is the most natural way to do it. But the prevailing thought over the years is that they're actually too good to be on the on the field together because they yeah. over they were it felt like they were overcalling each other you know they were uh kind of getting in each other's way um but whatever they've done over the last over the off season and then or you know the build up to these test matches has really worked because that that game against springboks was easily the best uh performance by those two put together we've seen yet and i think that if there's if there's anything that should worry other teams it's that that the, the All Blacks have managed to sort that out because it was something that should have been a strength that it ended up being a bit of a weakness um, for them. Uh, because I was always of the of the thought that it was like you just cut, you just get rid of one of them. You know, it's it's harsh, but you you just have to say to one like, "We're building the team around the other guy. Go talk to your agent. Yeah. Go to Japan. Whatever. You can come back after the next one, but just be a bit ruthless about it." But they've actually managed to find it find a way and especially after Bowden's super rugby season because he 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 wasn't that impressive for the blues mm-hmm. so there were there was a bit of chat that he probably wouldn't even be like he was always going to make the all blacks but he might not even be in the sort of top top match day squad um mm-hmm. also there's the fact that that Damien McKenzie is still uh a part of the a part of the squad as well um so he will be uh, and he 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 started against the Pumas in that first game, played really, really well. So now you've got these options there because I feel like McKenzie will probably come back into the team in the 23 jersey uh, for the World Cup. And by doing that, you've actually... I'm not sure whether they were trying to do this, but the team is now stacked with goal kickers uh, because yeah. you've got Geordie Geordie Barrett there as well who's the long range um option uh McKenzie's obviously a great kicker and Mwanga's fantastic and Barrett he I mean he's he's had his off nights but he's still scored like 700 points in test Rugby or something like that yeah so you know that's that's really that's a really good byproduct of of this of this selection um selections here and it was really interesting to see South Africa show up without a goal kicker at all. Uh, the other well, not a recognized one. Yeah. Um, which is really odd for them considering what their game plan is. So um from a World Cup perspective, uh, it's great to see that they've they've covered that really well.
0: And it that's it's funny you you um highlighted the difference because that's actually what cost South Africa against Ireland last year. They they're kicking, I think they had something like three from six or something in place kicks against Ireland and they lost by a score for New Zealand—that's not an issue. But just we'll touch on the wider squad in a minute. Like there's there's more players than out halves, contrary to what we all like to believe. But McKenzie then, like, a, a very good player, a, a test proven international fullback. Probably didn't have the best Super Rugby final. Um, at out half, but played very well against the Pumas in his next game without half for New Zealand. This time, is he? probably on the outside looking in or is he still like okay as a 23 he's a very good option
1: uh yeah i I, i'm not well this is the only puzzling thing about what the all the team that the All blacks have picked uh for this weekend is that he i would have thought he would be back in at 23 because that was sort of logically where he'd go because i think mwanga's last performance is not cemented him at, at the top spot, but definitely sort of put him ahead uh as as all Orbex first choice um out half. Sorry. I was, I was trying to remember what you guys call it. There's so many bloody no, different where's... names for this. I know. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> Again, right? You know. Uh and um yeah, yes. I I I still think he's gonna be a solid part of the top test lineup. Uh, but the only thing about him is that when, and you, you did kind of mention it alluding to the Super Rugby final, as soon as he's not getting the front football and he's not getting it his own way, uh, things can be, he can kind of melt a little bit. Because uh, there, there was at least one game where the Chiefs in Super Rugby, when the Chiefs got upset by the Queensland Reds, <clears throat> where he was completely ineffective because the, Re- uh, the, Reds, uh, the Chiefs had rested a lot of their forwards and the Reds really took it to them uh, in a game. Um And I think that it's stuff like that where he kind of needs to prove himself in more adverse conditions uh, uh, that he can, he, he'd be seen as, as like the sort of guy you'd want to be starting at 10 in, in and in a, in a knockout World Cup game, for, ex- for example. But if that did happen, if there was a couple injuries and <clears throat> if he's playing 10 uh, in a crucial game, I, I don't think the All Blacks are, are losing much. Uh, really given that he's such a good goal kicker as well and uh and and the running threat that he he provides. And and also if Bowden Barrett was on the field with him, um, they can almost just swap positions because McKenzie's played uh a lot at fullback uh at super rugby level as well. So and and started tests there. So um it's a good problem for the for the All Blacks to have to have those three guys there because e- any three of them any of the three, uh, starting a test match, I don't think the All Blacks are, are losing much.
0: Great position to be in, really, isn't it? Like it's, and then just moving on to the wider squad, as as we said, we would like to be, as always, there's this pilgrimage away from Super Rugby after every World Cup to, to Europe or Japan, but for now, the squad that Dean Foster has picked, um, I suppose, firstly, I would think it matches up with previous World Cup squads. I think, Big names is probably a bit lighter, possibly. Maybe that's just because we don't see as much Super Rugby up the Norths anymore. But is there anyone to watch out for? You know, maybe guys who should, who will feel like they're unfairly omitted. Maybe.
1: I no, I don't. I mean, that's the one thing about the naming of the squad is that there wasn't really anyone that got left out other than uh, Sean Stevenson, uh, who was the form fullback for the chiefs, who is actually part of the kind of wider all black group. He's been with the team since they started training and he's kind of there as an injury cover. Like that was the bigger mission that, that shocked everyone. Um, How much game time he would have got had he been picked though. That's the interesting one. I, you know, he, he, he might've started against the in that game against Argentina But given those three guys that I just talked about, he probably wasn't going to get a run at fullback. Um, He would have had to been on the wing, and then you've got to make space for him uh, by taking out like Will Jordan. And you can't take out Will Jordan if he's fit because he's good for a a try and a half every Test match. Um, So I, I, I was, a lot of people were really critical of Foster for for making that omission, but logically given what he's trying to do with the 10, 15 axis, I can see, I can see what, he's, what he's trying to do. I personally would have Stevenson in there. I'd just like, if the guy's scoring as many tries going into uh, a, a test rugby season, you pick them. You pick the, the winger who's getting across the line, line the best. That's just the way All Blacks have, the All Blacks have always worked. Uh, and uh, Caleb Clark hasn't really been doing that. And so that's that was that's the one big area of contention. Since the All Blacks started playing and winning, though, people have kind of forgotten about it a little bit. And Stevenson is like this close to being in anyway. It's just going to take like one injury, and I, I feel like he could he could force his way in. Um And then the other thing is is that like, the All Blacks draw, is for the World Cup is they have these these pool games against um, bloody. Luxembourg and Madagascar and whoever. But like that those were the games that these guys would have been playing. Um, the only other critique of the the wider squad I'd have is that they've kind of run out of time to use uh some of the new guys who are again picked off super rugby form to to really give them test experience. Um Cam Roygaard, who's the halfback from the, the Hurricanes, um, who is very, very highly rated. He's a he's a big halfback, he's about six feet tall, um, who I I feel like they were going to use mostly as a bench player to come on and defend and kick the All Blacks to victory you know um uh much the same way that TJ Perenara uh was the role that he he was filled um he's been named on the bench um for tomorrow night like I hope they give him some decent minutes um and that he can force his way into the into the World Cup squad because he was just so good um during uh Super Rugby and another guy um, that like, I, I'm guessing is going to have a run next week, but I, I would have liked to have seen him play more As Samer Penny who's a blindside flanker from the Chiefs, who was, again, like a guy not, not a lot of people were talking about at the start of the season. And by the end of it, it was like, this guy could potentially start You know, right now um, uh, for the All Blacks. So it's just kind of a shame to see a few guys in there that you're like, you should be striking while the iron's hot. If these guys are coming out of super rugby in really good form, put them in the first test. Like pick on form and 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 just see what happens um from there because you know it's the rugby championship. Like, yes, it's nice to win it, <clears throat> but it in a World Cup year it doesn't really matter. And if you look at previous World Cup years, the All Blacks actually haven't won the Rugby Championship in its present form form in any World Cup year yet, in the in the four team format. I think you have to go back to 2003 or it's either three or seven when the all-black actually won uh, the tri-nations leading up to the world cup and New Zealanders don't care if if you don't win the rugby championship, but you go and win the world cup. Uh, As long as you're winning that in the Bledsoe cup, um, people are, people are happy.
0: That's, I suppose you, you can't really blame them because they've they've won enough um, rugby championships at this stage. But yeah, beating Australia and win the Bledisloe is it's different. It's a different kettle of fish altogether. But just we touch a lot on the backs, and I suppose the forwards is probably another one like this uh, front row, probably light and experience, but high on form mm. as well. De Groot and Lomax getting a lot of plaudits, um, and looked very impressive in recent games as well. And then, you know, Shannon Frizzell has pushed on Scott Barrett, as you mentioned. And then, I mean, Erdi Sevea doesn't need any introduction. He's he's getting better with age. Like a, a bit of the critique about New Zealand recently was do they have the power to match with big teams? But I think they probably just have a, a, a pack that is good enough, which when power isn't enough, sometimes it's just about being as good as the opposite man sometimes, isn't it?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's good that you picked up on the front row because that was a real area of concern um, last year. And to be honest, a lot of uh, De Groot and Lomax's elevation and and good form was more by accident than design. Um, uh, De Groot was actually dropped at the start of last year after debuting in late 2021. And he only got back in the team because of an injury to offer Tuangafasi. And from there, he's never he's never really let go of that jersey. So, uh, and and Lomax has just been really really consistent. Um, and it's great to see because he actually he debuted a long time ago and sort of fell out of the picture for a while. And and now he's come back and so this is the third test in a row that those guys are starting, which is surprising really because I thought that they would have rotated them. And then at hooker, you've got a really really promising Samisoni he, he Actually. He's gone, he's more than promising. He's he's proven himself at test level. He he's fitted right in he's he's scoring open field tries, line out drive tries, his line out throwing's great, and he's just a really big physical threat uh across the field. So really happy with the way the front row's going. Already talked about the second row. Uh, but yeah, Frizzell's Frizell's form, like I'm I'm just still got a bit of a question mark over him because he's always had this reputation as being like a flat track bully. Uh but he he really stood up in that game against the, the Springboks, um, you know, against some very big, you know, Springbok players. Uh, whether he can just keep that form going, because I I've never really seen a really consistent body of work from him. He he plays for the Highlanders and so they're, you know, the worst New Zealand team in the and super rugby. And so they're always destined to sort of lose every second or third game. Um, so not a lot's uh, expected of him at that level. And as long as he can just yep. bust out like a good performance every now and then. So what, what we need to see from Frizzell is, is like another great performance tomorrow night. And then we can start to believe in him. Um, and then the byproduct that I, I mentioned earlier was the shift, shifting Barrett back into the, back into lock. Um, there has been a little bit of talk about Artie. Um, just there's always kind of been a question mark over his size at number eight and whether he's got, Uh, you know the bulk to be able to make those carries off the back of the scrum Um, obviously he's just dynamite around the field and everything but um, you know to do when a job when a when a test gets really close and tight he needs to be able to play the 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 more traditional role of a number eight of being more of a defensive player and and being able to just take the ball over the game line with some good hard carries I think I personally think he can do it but that's that's what the what, that's kind of what the chat is, especially when there's a guy like Jacob Luke Jacobson there, who who literally is a, a very big guy, who can take those carries um, that we talked about, and Dalton Papaliti as well, who's getting a start um, tomorrow night because Sam Kane's out um, just with a net complaint. So I think that uh, if there's one one area that just still kind of needs, I know I mentioned earlier that it's, it's feeling a lot more locked in. But like, there still could be a few tweaks at, at loose forward, just because this time last year it felt like it was just all over the show, um, to be honest. But it's feeling a lot better than it, where it was. Yeah, that's
0: as I said in the French in the French podcast, and I'll probably say it in a few podcasts. But at New Zealand side this improving and brimming with confidence is a, is a very scary prospect. It's it's, it's scary enough for France who they playing in the opening game and like we can't mention A without mentioning pool B and the treacherous draw that is the top four sides destined, top four sides in the world as we speak, destined to face off in the World Cup quarterfinals. Now, some people may think it's okay, it's much to do and nothing. Other people say it's a bit imbalanced. What's your thoughts on it? We'll move on to Poulet itself afterwards, but what's your thoughts on the draw and the likelihood of playing Ireland or South Africa in the quarters or Scotland?
1: I mean obviously it's given us something to talk about for the last few years but like didn't we play Ireland in the last world cup so it's it's right. not really anything new and and that was an Irish team that had beaten the all blacks last time that played them yeah yep. no they they did yep, they and we had a years we had a years worth of chat about how Ireland were the were the best team and and fair enough too you know they'd they'd beaten the all blacks um like, I think things got kind of tipped on the head a bit in the 2019 Six Nations, if I remember correctly. Uh, but, you know, it was all this chat about how Ireland had the All Blacks number now, they weren't afraid of them and and everything like that. And then they met in the, in the quarterfinal and the All Blacks smoked them. Um, and I think a lot of that result probably says more about Ireland than it does about the All Blacks uh but if i were was the coaching staff or anyone who had any connection to that you can just say like look we've done this before if if they do indeed play ireland um but i think what new zealanders are kind of having a hard time getting their head around um is that it's a world cup a lot of what goes on is actually out of your hands you know people saying we're going to play ireland or south africa in in a quarter final like it might be Scotland, you know, like they I, I i could totally see Scotland pulling off an upset or or two, and all three of those teams being kind of level on on points or something um and I think you just got to look at the way the Springboks won the last World Cup <laughs> a lot just things just fell into place for them, you know uh and if if for some reason the All Blacks you know they win against France, they're playing against Scotland in a quarterfinal, all of a sudden everything's looking you know you' You'd be you're on course to play, I think, the Wallabies in a semi-final. All of a right, sudden it's looking yeah. a hell of a lot of, a, a lot more promising, isn't it? And then yeah. you've got a final against, well, who knows? England maybe. That's that's looking a lot more promising for the All Blacks. So I think once the tournament rolls around and you can start to people start to get their heads around the permutations and go, you don't actually need to be the best side of the last four years to win this World Cup. You just need a few other teams to mess up. Yeah. Um, which is exactly what happened in the last one, uh, in order to give yourself the best chance of winning, and that's that because that's how the spring won the world. I'm sorry to any South Africans that are listening, but but that, that's that's how you want it, yeah.
0: Well, we did you the
1: biggest, we did we did we did, we did the spring the biggest favor by beating them in the first game.
0: <laughs> awesome, thank you. Well, That's I actually made a similar point on, on yesterday's podcast as well. About you know, sometimes it is literally that old sports phrase better to be lucky than to be good, and like there's a stat that's that was brought to my attention any team who's beaten New Zealand or Ireland in a World Cup knockout game has lost the next one it it literally happened last time around as well you know New Zealand beat Ireland they go on lose to England England lose South Africa do you know like this it's tough maybe we're the curse maybe we're the team that everyone should fear not France not South Africa because you know no one can ever get past us but then like you said, Poulet, it's it's not Luxembourg and Madagascar, it is Namibia and Uruguay in, in that pool. Yeah, New sorry, Zealand
1: or Uruguayans listening. Sorry about
0: that. I, I, I don't think there will be any to be honest. But <laughs> like New Zealand won't fear them. Like these are the games that typically like we've seen in 2015, New Zealand put up a huge score against Namibia. Like that's that's what these games usually are. But that French game opening night in Stade France, like that's there has to be some sense of dread in, in some regard, surely.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, just given what happened last time the old were there, where they got they got whipped, uh, and there's this is a, obviously a very different French outfit to the one that we've grown up watching, where they are brilliant one week and rubbish the next, like they're just brilliant all the time now. Mm-hmm. And there, we've just watched their under 20s team just trample over everybody like they did last year. Uh, And so it feels like they're going to be like this going forward from now on, you know, their, their club system, the way that they've they've managed to get their club system, their academy system is is just, it's taken them a while, but it's all pointing in the right direction now. You know, like it's, it's, it's scary uh, what they're capable of because they've got so much money and so many resources and, The ability to tap into so many players um as well because for us as New Zealanders we we think okay when a Pacific Island player uh wants to further their rugby career they just come to they come to New Zealand um (laughs) people don't realize that France owns half of Polynesia and it's not um it's not like you know, they're moving countries. That's literally part of France. And so you can see that Pacific influence um in that French team now with um guys like Pietro Mal- uh, Malvaca, um, uh Vahamahina, uh, and 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 guys that France doesn't even have to entice to come and play in the in the competition. And then the guys they have enticed uh from your know, fijian backgrounds and things. So they've got they've got a really good system going over there. And I think that it's not just this first game that we're worried about, it's just like how going forward uh, the way that they're doing things over there is not something that New Zealand rugby can really compete with because we just don't have the money uh, to do it. Um, and so, you know, it's not just going to be a battle on the field. It's kind of one offered as well, like where the All Blacks really need to be able to prove that um, our way of doing things is still sustainable and viable. Like it's, it's a big topic uh, I know to talk about, but um it really does feel that way down here.
0: It's it, to be fair, it's it's a big topic in world rugby in general. You know, Wales, England, um, Ireland and France have been very lucky. They've they've built a model that works for them. But, you know, like England rugby, they're losing premiership clubs, Welsh rugby, they're the WRU are running them into the ground. New Zealand, it's a cash issue. Australia, it's a lack of interest and supporters through the gates. Like mm-hmm. this. And maybe New Zealand, like and we kind of discussed this before um, on a different part, but like if France win, it's a romantic win if Australia win, it would be great for the game with the Lions tour coming up if Ireland win, very few people would generally begrudge Ireland for, for winning Um, you know, if South Africa win, they make history first time they go back, like there's so many different storylines but that opening game even of itself is one of those storylines, like, you know, we we almost had a dress mm. rehearsal for it back in 2021 instead of France and like like France won that game but it was one of the games of the year one of the games of the decade will New Zealand I suppose New Zealand probably never fear anyone but will will that be lingering on their minds you think or will it just be a case of listen all the pressure is on is on France
1: well i hope so <laughs> i i hope um the 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 one this 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 has kind of happened before um, and it was a while ago, so I don't expect you to remember because you probably weren't even born yet. But <laughs> in 1995, um, awesome <laughs> obviously, obviously, everybody remembers, uh, or or knows about Jonah Lomu just running over everybody and the All Blacks being this absolutely unstoppable force that got tripped up in the final. Um, and, and it, it's probably like the most famous World Cup of all time just because of that. Uh, People forget, though, that the All Blacks actually came in off a really bad season um, the year before. They'd, they'd lost a Test Series to France at home, which was the last time that they'd lost a series until at home until last year, uh, and had lost the Blazers Cup uh, as well. Um, this was obviously amateur, so there's a lot less Tests played. Um, but the, the feeling going into that World Cup, because it was played much earlier in the year, it was played around May, uh, I think it finished, yeah, it was May and the final was in June sometime. So our southern hemisphere, like the start of our winter. Uh so the All Blacks only had one game going into it where they thrashed Canada. Uh so the feeling of that one was felt a lot like what this one this one does. Uh and so if they can t- tap back into um the kind of dark horse um mentality of just sort of slipping in and being like, we're the ones who're gonna spoil the party here. Uh you know, we're the ones who are going to grab everyone's attention um, from the first game onwards. Um, then I, th- I think that's the best way that the All Blacks can go around uh, g- uh, go about winning winning this World Cup because you're right. There's going to be a ton of pressure on France, but I I think I've seen enough out of them to know that they're going to be able to handle it pretty well. And it's going to take something pretty pretty special to to knock them off at, at that at that park. And um yeah, I just can't wait to to watch it because it's gonna be the most interesting World Cup opening game ever, in my opinion.
0: Well, it's it certainly goes ahead of, you know, New Zealand Tonga twenty eleven or England Fiji 2015, you know. So <laughs> it's it's not a guaranteed win for France or for New Zealand, that's for sure. But we'll we'll wrap on predictions. Um, do you see the All Blacks doing it? Or if not, which way do you see the Web Ellis Cup? going
1: Huh. i i i hate making predictions but i'll i i I don't think the all blacks are going to win the world cup i i just think they've left their run kind of too late i've i've said a whole lot of good things about the team in the last you know however long we've been talking and everything but at the same time I think I've seen more out of a lot of the other teams. Um, I, I would probably back Ireland um, to win it. I don't know how they're going to get there to do it, but I, I think this is their time because I was just so impressed by what I, with what I saw um, from them last year and their ability to adapt on the fly, uh, which is something that the All Blacks have always been better at than, than everyone else. Um, In saying that I could totally see like England falling ass first into the final and, um just because of the draw uh even the wallabies maybe uh but i hope not i hope that the two best teams in the tournament can somehow who are playing you know playing their way through the tournament um can somehow make it make it to the final but yeah i think that you've got the first game against france and then a quarter final for the all blacks uh and if the all blacks win that quarterfinal, they're going to win they'll they'll win the world cup but
0: unfortunately, I don't think they will. And I feel like a lot of people are going to end up saying it's between France and Ireland. I do see New Zealand upsetting the apple cart. Like, 2019 lost... You know, they won that opening game. They got to the semi-final. Eddie Jones and England out outtaught them. But you never know. They could lose the opening game this time and go all the way to the final. It's it's now um a, po- a live possibility. Um, so. Thank you very much for that, Jamie. It's been it's been a pleasure to, to catch up and to talk and for joining me tonight or morning, morning time, your time. So I'll be back again on Thursday with the third preview pod as we round off Pule with the preview of Italy. I'll be joined by the trio of the Fratelli, the rugby podcast for that one. And we'll close out the week with a recap of Ireland's warmer plash with the Azuri on Sunday night. So thanks at home to everyone for listening. If you like what you see or hear, please do subscribe. You can find the links for my channels below as well as the link for Jamie's Twitter page which I would definitely suggest for news and opinions on the All Blacks. But for now, take it easy.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.